0: Hi, can everybody hear me? Do I need to move back? Too soft, too loud? That's a bit weird. Um, Hi, I'm Tanya Davidge and it's great to see all you guys here um, for the Portfolio Workshop. Um, It's a fantastic thing and it's a really good time of year to be doing it. Um, I'm going to chat to you today, not necessarily about portfolios, but something that might be in your near future, I'm going to chat to you a little bit about having public conversations about architecture, why we should have them, why they're important and why we should have more of them. Um, I'm also going to talk a little bit today about the Institute's new architecture awareness campaign. Um, It's called Where I'd Like to Live. I don't know how many people – is anybody familiar with it? Have you come across it yet? Oh, one hand. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, And a few students, maybe you've all had your heads down at end of semester... ...well, you've still got a little time to get onto it. Anyway, so where do I want to start? Right. Um, About a year and a half ago, I was driving down Punt Road, I think it was... ...and I looked up and I saw a big green billboard. And the big green billboard had a picture of broccoli on it. And I thought what is that big green broccoli billboard advertising? So I read the caption and the caption said, you wouldn't ask a butcher about broccoli. So when it comes to building, ask an architect. And the billboard was advertising the ask an architect service basically. And I looked at this and I thought, well, you know, I can get on board with that. I'm an architect. I believe that we've studied for a certain period of time and we've worked for a certain period of time. And we bring professional value, um, you know, to the built environment. So, yes, you know, we should ask an architect about building. But then I thought about this billboard a little bit more. And I thought, you know what? I don't actually think that I'm meant to be the audience for this billboard. I think that maybe somebody who's thinking about renovating... ...or somebody who's thinking about building a new home and is possibly interested in hiring an architect. They're meant to be the audience for this billboard. And what are they left with when they look at this billboard? Well, basically what they're left with is a piece of broccoli. So I thought, oh, that's really hard. Like you're not making a connection with your audience here, but then there's the question of like, what is that connection that you wanna make? Like there's so many things that we can say about architecture, how do you say them in one billboard? It's quite impossible. How do we talk to the people, how do we talk to people about all the richness of thinking that goes into designing the built environment in a, simple, in a single billboard? So I've been thinking about this question for a long time and talking to people about this richness is actually not easy. It's quite a difficult proposition. In the 18th century, architects used to be interested in this idea of architecture parlante, And this is a French term. And what it basically means is speaking architecture or architecture that speaks. And so architects like Claude Ledoux were interested in this idea that when you took a building and you looked at the building, you would understand its place in society, you would understand its place in the city, and you would understand what its program was. And if we look at, you know, some of the fantastic buildings in Melbourne, some of the fantastic Gold Rush buildings, um, we can see that there's a semblance of this idea in those buildings. So if you take, for example, the State Library or Parliament House, we can see that there's, um, you know, ideals of power and identity bound up in Parliament House. The fact that it's sitting outside of the grid and it's on axis with Burke Street. It's up the hill and you have to move up into it. And then when you move up into it, you're kind of in this grand entry statement, this portico with these big columns that surround you and dwarf you so the architecture makes you feel small and insignificant next to the institution. And, you know, you can understand this physically just by walking through the city. It's a wonderful thing. And the State Library has a similar position, you know, as a public institution in the city. It does a similar thing. It sits back off this beautiful green forecourt and you move up into it and it's quite wonderful but what we think about when we think about architecture nowadays is not that at all architects are kind of you know we're interested in different things we're inspired by different things we're inspired by a much broader range of issues than just simply kind of power and identity and the monumental and you know we're inspired by things like patterns if you look at Sean Godsell's design hub or we're interested in things like portraits if you want to take ARM's new portrait building with William Barack on its face at the top of Swanston Street and we're even inspired, I suppose, by kind of nature in very, very abstract ways if you think about the beautiful space that we're sitting in now. Um, and if you think about a building like Federation Square which is just across the river, it has a similar civic monumentality to it, yeah. It's meant to be a similar civic building to, say, the public library. You know, it's a public building around a public space. It's formed around a public space. But there's a real richness to this building that's not easily accessible. You don't just kind of see it and experience it um, immediately and you don't necessarily see it and experience it in the photos of it. What you need to do is you actually need to go there and you need to get to know the space. To understand that, you know, the geometry is based—the geometry of the facade is based on really complicated um, kind of mathematical formulas or mathematical geometries that have to do with fractals and the idea of the infinite. Um, and one of the things I love to point out to people when I take visitors to Federation Square, for example, is the way it draws the city in, without referencing it really obviously. So if you, next time you go to Fed Square, you may have noticed this already, but next time you go there and you're standing in the plaza, if you look up at the lighting above you, it's strung on electrical cables that crisscross the plaza. And where each one meets, there's a kind of a light comes down. And this lighting is inspired by the, um, the electrical cables of the tram tracks... ...in Melbourne, so it's drawing the kind of entire city of Melbourne in... ...in these small ways, which are really quite beautiful. Um, So it's an incredibly rich building... ...but we only understand it by getting to know it... ...and rather than just seeing images of it. So I I thought I would talk a little bit more about how we have... ...conversations about architecture in the city, in public. Um, And I I think there are kind of three primary ways... Or this is my personal feeling... Um, you might want to add some, that we have conversations, public conversations about architecture. So the first is in the media. We have public conversations in the media, on the news and in the newspapers, and we talk about the perils of overdevelopment and kind of the not-in-my-backyard protests against development in the middle suburban ring. We talk about the inaccessibility of affordable housing, and we talk about the poor planning decisions at Fisherman's Bend and the Docklands. Um, among other things, and and these conversations are often kind of negative, maybe in tone. You know, they're not positive or celebratory. They're often talked you know, talked about by experts. Um, although I did notice that the some of the buildings from the National Architecture Awards were on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald the other day. So I think that's a fantastic win. Um, but then if we move on from the media, we have. Um, a really everyday forum where we talk about architecture and we have conversations about the city and it's basically through the planning process, yeah? So the planning process, I don't know if um, some of you are familiar with it, some of you probably not as students yet, but it's kind of an adversarial model. If there's a house going up next door to you and you love it, you don't usually do anything about it. You don't write a letter of support saying, I love it, but if you hate it... (laughs) You well and truly make yourself heard. So what we have is another kind of, I suppose, negative way of engaging with architecture. Now, while I say negative, it's not to say that these kinds of conversations aren't super important. Like, they're really, really important to have these types of conversations, even if they're kind of based around conflict or adversarial models. Um, Because what these conversations do is they renegotiate the going rate, right? They negotiate public conversations like this, negotiate what we deem acceptable in terms of the places that we live in. And I think that we can see, I don't know if any of you have been following the conversation around the Nightingale apartment building in Brunswick, yeah? So, we can see an example of this in that conversation. So, the Nightingale is this lovely building um, proposed for Brunswick. And it has no um, private parking, I think, in it for the residents. And the residents have accepted this and it's all fine. And it got planning based on this and 177 letters of support that people wrote in to council about. And this is very unusual, as I mentioned before. There are only three objections and usually a development of this kind will have 12 to 15 objections. Um, but one planning approval from the council... And then one of the objectors uh, took the Nightingale to VCAT. And the senior VCAT member who made the ruling on it was a man named Russell Byard. And he said to quote from his ruling, "'No such arrangements are as convenient as private car ownership.'" So what he thought was really important about this planning submission was that it include parking because it's simply the most convenient form of travel. And if any of you know where the Nightingale is located, it's literally five minutes walk from a train station. So this is really interesting. But then what happened in the newspaper is there's this wonderful article that had, I think, uh, our planning minister talking about it and an amazing planner called Ros Hansen talking about it, saying that VCAT should be taken to task on this because this was not an acceptable... This was not an acceptable ruling. It wasn't an understanding of how we should build our cities. It was a really kind of archaic view, in fact. And so, while the Nightingale's planning was overturned, um, this is actually a really important conversation to have in the public because what it's done is it's actually shifted the way, w- you know, what we understand to be acceptable in terms of residential development in the city. So, it's It's fantastic. I hope they get it up as well, obviously, but it's still a really important conversation to have. Um, The third conversation, or the third way I want to talk about um, how we have kind of public conversations about architecture often revolves around money. So if any of you are thinking of buying a home, maybe not quite yet, but anyway, or um, are going to think about it in future, often the conversations you will have with your friends ...and the people who are on the block and renovation rescue and stuff like that... ...are all about investment value and affordability. And what's really interesting is that the Institute has market research... ...that says that people really value architecture. They see it as a valuable commodity. It's a really important thing. But at the same time, people think it's a value that they can't afford. And this is a real problem... ...because what we're doing is we're putting all of our kind of eggs in the money basket, yeah? You know, the conversations we have about architecture shouldn't only revolve around money. Money obviously is an important part. But there's lots of other points of view. So, in my personal point of view... ...from my personal point of view, what we need to have is more kind of positive conversations... ...about architecture and the city. We need to shift the conversation so that it's not so based on money anymore and that it rebalances the fiscal or the monetary with the social and cultural. So, we need to talk about the social and cultural value that accompanies well-designed cities. And these things have economic value. We just don't often take them into account. When you talk about livable cities nowadays, what we talk about often is social capital. You're accruing social capital. A good livable city is one where you can accrue social capital by meeting people, by getting out in your community, by... Um, you know, by walking your dog, taking your kids to the park and meeting, uh, meeting the members of your community. Um, and there's also the cultural economy, which also has a value. You know, culture adds um, value to our economies. If you think about the Mona down in Tasmania, how that's actually really created an incredible investment in that economy um, through its development. These are kind of really fantastic examples. So, one of the ways you can all get involved... ...in having a positive conversation, public conversation about architecture... ...is to um, post something for the Where I'd Like to Live campaign. So, it's a social media campaign and it's primarily Instagram. So, it's easy and it's fun. And I've posted stuff but it doesn't appear because it was a bit weird. But that's okay. You can find it yourselves. Um, (laughs) And it was launched on World Architecture Day in October... So, what do you need to do? And you need to do it by Friday, people, okay? I think I'm a judge. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, um, you need to post a picture to Instagram that shows where you would like to live, right? You need to tag it with the hashtag, where I'd like to live. And then, and this to me, right, is the most important bit. You need to say why you would like to live in this space, right? Because what we often do as architects is we love these images with nobody in them. That makes the architecture look beautiful, yeah? So, what you're doing if you post an image like that, that all architects love, which is fine, I love them too, is with the couple of sentences that you write down the bottom, you are putting yourself in that picture for other people to engage with, right? So, it's positively simple how we can have a conversation about architecture. So the comp closes on the 16th, which I think is Friday. So you need to get onto it. I think you can win $2,000 in like designy stuff. I'm not sure what that stuff is. You'll have to look it up. Um, I think somebody's handed out the Avant cards that that have the little details for it so I don't have to read them out because there's no screen. Um, Anyway, what I think is really lovely about this... um, campaign that the institute is doing, is that one of the aims, or the three aims, is that they're trying to challenge the idea of architecture as elitist, expensive and intangible. So that's quite fantastic. Um, And they're anchoring the campaign, uh, you know, on questions of livability, affordability and community. So they're really trying to broaden that conversation about architecture. The first stage focuses on residential design, which... um, uh, you know, I kind of i don't know. I'm not completely sold on that, but I know why they did it and I think it's a, a really clever um, place to start. Um, and then what they're going to do, they're hoping to broaden out the campaign and focus on kind of more public and institutional questions. So, where would you like to live? Where would you like to play? Where would you like to work? Where do you like to learn? So, I think it's kind of a really lovely place to start. And one of the reasons I think they started... ...with Residential is they're partnering with um, the Design Files. Does everybody know the Design Files blog? I think it's the thedesignfiles.net. It's run by a woman called Lucy Figgins. Figgins? Um, apologies if anybody knows how to say that. And I've it, said it wrong. And she um, runs this great design blog. Uh, you know, she interviews people who are in the design world. She talks about art. She talks about architecture. Um, and she does it from a kind of a very like a kind of just a design-interested perspective rather than a professional perspective, which is really wonderful. And what's really interesting about Lucy is that she has 125,000 followers on social media and she has a list of 25,000 design um, subscribers, essentially. So they're all interested in design. There's so many people out there that are interested in design. We just need to talk to them. So she's run three profiles on her website and partnered with the Institute so she's talking about three different houses and the way she talks about them is really wonderful. she doesn't if you've ever read a building review in an architectural magazine this is not the way she is talking about these houses. What she does is she puts the people first. Um, I'm not saying that building reviews don't have a place they absolutely do but her writings quite lovely for for a different point of perspective. She puts the people first she talks them she talks to them about you know, what it's like to work with an architect, um, what it's like to live in these lovely spaces. And seriously, the houses profiled on on this are fantastic. Um, You know, and kind of what it means to them, you know, what it is to kind of be in those spaces, to occupy those spaces. And she puts people in her photos. So she goes down and she takes a photo of the people that she's talking to in their houses. So it's really nice. And when you all grow up to be proper architects, I'm still not sure I'm one... You will put people in your photographs, please. Because we went through – it was really interesting. I'm on the reference committee. I should declare my conflict of interest. I'm on the reference committee, along with Sarah, for um, the digital campaign. And we got all these photos from architects and they're all lovely if you're an architect, but there's nobody in them. There's no way to occupy them. They're all beautifully proportioned and perfectly painted. Sometimes there's flowers, but that's it. Seriously, people. Anyway, so, you know, I would, you know, post a photo. It's a great way to take... ...to actually contribute to, I think, a a lovely public conversation on architecture. And I just wanted to close by talking about a few other ways... um, ...that we can talk publicly about architecture. So, in Melbourne, we used to have architecture on the radio... um, ...with uh, Stuart and Simon and Christine. And Christine, I work with... So I love her, so that's why I'm mentioning architecture on the radio. It's no longer; they've retired, unfortunately. But Simon still is often found to be talking on the radio. Um, we have wonderful things like architecture exhibitions, and there's been some amazing architecture exhibitions uh, in recent times. And I just think, most notably, um, the NGV had the Melbourne Now exhibition, and architecture played a really important role in this. You know, design and architecture, but architecture had four rooms. And there are a swathe of architects who were commissioned to create pieces... um, ...for that building, that beautiful building over there. Um, Competitions. The kind of public focus in competitions has actually become a lot more prevalent. Um, The Flinders Street Station competition is a competition that immediately comes to mind. The public voting, the People's Choice Award... ...I don't know if any of you did it, but it was fantastic. It was really interesting. What you had to do was that you had to vote on all of the shortlisted designs and um, you had to rank each shortlisted design, I think there were six of them, on certain criteria. And what it did was it forced you to look beyond the kind of big heroic image that we all love to make, right? And it forced you to actually really engage. And I've got to say, my initial first choice didn't... You know, wasn't my first choice by the end of the process. So, it was a really good way to get people thinking a little bit more about the spaces they live in, what an iconic building should be, what a train station should be, what we should do to Flinders Street Station. It was really lovely. Um, There are a few people that are here tonight that are going to help you out with your portfolios. Some really fantastic people who are really interested in public conversations about architecture. Um, I think Edwards Moore is somewhere around. Maybe they've just put out a book last year or maybe not. Maybe they're were on the list and no more somewhere. You know, they've put out a book and, you know, a book is a way of broadening kind of your audience, the audience for architecture potentially. We have Warwick Mahaley over there in the back in the very sharp hat. Uh, he and I'm not sure if Michael Smith's here, but Warwick has a fantastic blog on architecture and it's actually super good for architecture students. So I don't know if any of you have come across it, but I highly recommend ...you have a read of it. Um, It's great for professionals, too. It's good for everybody, really. (laughs) And Michael Smith, um, he's the red and black architect. And I think the um, most recent post of his is an interview with the planning minister. So you should check that out. It's a a really important conversation. Um, And then we have advocacy, which I suppose is what the Institute promotes. But uh, a lot of the members of the Institute... ...go on above and beyond their call of duty... ...and are advocates, public advocates for architecture. So these are all kinds of wonderful things... ...and good ways we can get involved... ...and have conversations about architecture. And then I suppose I'd like to kind of finish... ...on this beautiful pavilion that we're in. I think this is a really wonderful example... ...of how we can have public conversations on architecture... ...and public conversations in architecture... Um, and you can see how this, the design and the simple kind of construction of this pavilion actually completely changes um, the space that we're in and it's such a lovely space to be in and to speak in. It's a really wonderful space. So to conclude, we need to have public conversations about architecture to counter the thinking that um, architecture should be solely driven by function and investment and that's where its value lies. We need to start talking about cities ...and the houses we would like to live in, in terms of their social... ...their sociability, their social importance, their cultural importance. And also for, you know, the fact that they can inspire us... um, ...and the warmth that they can bring. We need to take a broader view of architecture... ...and architecture's value... ...and make livable cities not just functional cities... ...and homes not investment properties... And to do this, we need to involve as many people in the conversation as possible. So once again, I'm going to ask you to post a photo with the where I'd like to live hashtag (laughs) and enjoy.